Hey everybody, welcome to The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Eidson, and with Darren McAnthony, Chairman and Co-Owner of Peterborough United. And we've got a ton to talk about this week, Dara, so let's just jump straight into it. And I actually want to start by congratulating your manager on uh, Manager of the Month, Poison Chalice. <laughs> but <laughs> To be fair, um, I, I look back on this, and he won it last year and then won the following game. I don't buy in the curse. The, the, listen, Saturday was not to do with the curse, we were just shit. I mean, listen, good for him. But like I said to him, listen, the only one I care about is the manager of the year. You know what I mean? On your mantelpiece at the end of the season. So who gives a shit about early accolades? doesn't mean anything, does it? So I think the previous managers I've had, one manager of the month early on, I'd fired them by the end of the season. So it really doesn't mean shit. Not that I'd fire this manager, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> and I seem to remember when Stuart McCall was at Scunthorpe, the same happened. He went in there, he got manager of the month, and then three months later, he was a goner. That's football. It's just, it's, it's results, isn't it? It's, you know, you don't win games, you're gone. Now, does a manager usually have bonuses in the contract for awards like this, or is it more kind of window dressing? Uh, it's window dressing. I, I, I haven't had any of my manager's contracts. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I actually, I, I think the manager was happy for his staff to play a part in it because it was a big concerted effort with the amount of games they had in like a month. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like it was nice vindication for that. But listen, like I said, the one that matters is manager of the year. Yeah, I, I was a bit good at Dembele didn't win player of the month. Clark Harris had six goals in six games, uh, in league, league goals, and he didn't even get nominated. But listen, fair play to the goalkeeper who won it. You know what I mean? I guess goalies occasionally have to get some credit. So fair play. Well, your man Ivan Tony won the championship player of the year, uh, player of the month, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he'll be the best player in the championship this year. So I mean, he, he had ten goals in ten games. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a given. I, I listen, he'll win three or four more of those, and uh, he'll definitely be player of the year in the champ. He's just ripping it up there, isn't he? So talking about bonuses. What are some unusual bonuses that managers have requested or that you've heard about in football? To be fair, I usually put bonuses in. I I pretty much put a contract to a manager and then you'll argue over the bits and pieces. I've never really, bar previous foreign managers I might have interviewed where they talked about flights maybe for them or going home certain times. And it's probably why I didn't hire them because they didn't want to move their families over straight away. And I always kind of want a manager who settles. But it's very difficult to demand the manager move his kids from school and move them to an area because managers don't last, was it, 11 months is the average. So, you know, if you're a manager with your family, you base them somewhere and go, we ain't moving, but I'll move around that kind of thing. So I usually put bonuses in and like I put in previous managers and I've, I've kept it going. I've got a bonus if you reach the fifth round of the FA Cup, you get on TV and it's a big TV amount of money, like 150 grand. I think I had in previous managers' contracts, they got 20 grand of that. I also used to put in if you can get to 100 goals, all the things that help our assets and our asset base do better, you know, attacking football, score goals, you try and incentivize that. That's probably from my real estate days. I would always invent incentivize my sales guys, my staff to like do more deals, bring in more volume, better efficiency, did it, did it, this. So kind of similar to that, you know what I mean? So no weird requests from managers, to be fair. Not that I've come across. Like you say, incenting the behaviors you want to see in your team, isn't it? And so that everyone's moving towards a common goal. Yeah, exactly. Score lots of goals, be entertaining, that kind of thing, because that keeps the gates up, you know, and your value of your players up. So talking about the manager, it was also his 200th win, I think, uh, the FA Cup game back a week or so ago. There's actually a couple of articles that have been written, I think one in the Sun, one on the Sky Sports website about your relationship with Darren Ferguson. You know, I wondered how your relationship has evolved with him since you first hired him, what, 13 years ago? 15 years ago now. So, yeah, a long, long time ago. Yeah, I think I was like 29 when I hired him. And I think he was 34. It's evolved in different shapes. Uh, at first, it was we were both two young people. 
I was new to owning a football club. He was new to managing. So as much as it was new, it was easy to implement because he was eager to impress and he, he bought into what I was saying I wanted to do. Yeah. I think him being fired, not just with me, but at other clubs and, and leaving and having successes, he's learned things along the way. So I've always had a better version of him every time I've rehired him, which, which is not bad. It'd be like me when I fired Grant McCann. He was a better manager at Doncaster and probably a better manager at Hull. Sometimes you don't get the benefit of that. Do you know what I mean? So early on, I had like a, a young manager who still had to go through so much to be the finished article. But our relationship's been good. If he left tomorrow, we'd still talk next month. Um, he would come to me if he had issues or he needed advice. I feel like I have that relationship with a lot of the managers I've had, bar a few. And I'm a hard taskmaster, but at the end of the day, you'll never find any of the managers say, they don't say what I mean and mean what I say. And it's always constructive criticism, you know, no matter what. Like on Saturday, we were crap. And yeah, I, I gave it to the manager, you know what I mean? And, and told him, but I didn't give it to him in a, you know, school teacher type way. You know, he rang me after the game and he was like, thoughts on that, chairman? Like, he, he knew what was coming, I'm sure. He, he did, and he probably left it an hour before he rang me from the car, you know, halfway <laughs> back. Uh, so by then I'd kind of maybe cooled down a bit. Well, I hadn't really, but I was just like, fucking what a load of bollocks that was. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, I, I think I said to him, they've had far too much fucking time off the last 10 days, but it looked like they haven't played together for weeks. Um, but to be fair, I had said crew were very good Yeah. Um, on this podcast. Yeah. But in saying that, we should be beating crew. If we want to win promotion, we have to find a way to win. We were crap for the first half. And then the second half, it was just, yeah, it was, it, we, we controlled the second half, but it, we'd still be playing now and not scored. It was one of them days where I would, you know, I think Swanee in the local paper gave everyone fours out of tens. He was right. There was no, there was no positive, actually. Sometimes you get a positive after a game. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a positive after that game. It was just one of them really, really bad days. Um, look, our players are big enough and bold enough. They've been around long enough to know. That's not acceptable. That's not the standard. And if we continue to play like that, well, you know, that's going to hurt us. So we've got to bounce back. Now, how do you react in terms of bouncing back? You know, you've had such a good run. You know, do you look at that and say, you know what? It was a bad day at the office. Let's forget about it and move on. Or do you go deep into the analysis to say why, why it went wrong? You do a bit of both. I mean, I, I did my analysis on Sunday and I got all my stats and stuff. And the manager has his analysis and it was really plain to see and easy to see that. That was the least we've run all season, I think, in a game. We demand our players do the hard yards, you know, where they're running 10, 11 clicks a game. And when we fall below 10, we don't win football games. So our game is based on energy. Mm-hmm. And it's probably up there at Accrington as statistically the worst two games of the season. Do you panic? No, because we lost two of the first three games. And I, I was no different on the podcast at the time because I know the quality we have. I know we're going to win a lot of games. I know our fans are always waiting for the shoe to fall off or you know, so, but now I, I feel the summer just gone was my best work ever. I really feel like that. When I talk about me, I'm talking about the recruitment. I feel it was the best work we did as a club. I feel we got really, really good guys, good human beings in there who can deal with anything that's thrown at them. I think they just had a shit day. No excuse. We were missing one of our best players in the centre of midfield. And when you play a team who loves to pass and control the, the game via midfield, it's very difficult to lose probably one of the best in League One who was away in international duty. So, you know, there are reasons, but I know this group of players, I know they'll bounce back from it. I know they'll react strongly and they will win six, seven games in a row at some in different stages of the season. And they'll probably throw in the odd one like you saw on Saturday. But as long as they keep bouncing back with five, six, seven wins, you're going to get promoted. That's the reaction you want. So it was Jack Taylor, was it? That was away on international duty. 
Yeah, he was hitting the Ireland on the 21s, which is frustrating. Do you know what I mean? Like Today, he was called up by the main team. He's going to be with the main Irish team on Wednesday. The main Irish team are fucking hopeless at the moment. Do you know what I mean? They can't buy a win or score a goal. And it's about time he's been with them. Because if he can't get in that team, it's like seven in a row. And he is he's a terrific young player. I mean, he's so talented. So hopefully, he'll get maybe 20 minutes on Wednesday night which is great. And then he'd be back with, back with us on Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. And all goes well, he's back in the team. But he is a big part of what we do. So losing him is always a bit of a body blow. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, international duty, here we are in the middle of the pandemic and we're not allowed to travel everywhere. And you have all these countries still traveling all around Europe, playing against each other. Well, it's doing its best to destroy Liverpool season. That's for sure. I've seen like Gomez is gone. Henderson is like out obviously today. And now Salah's obviously got Corona or the Rona. So I don't know what they're doing with three games is mad. Um, with everything going on, is international football really that important? Particularly friendlies. I understand the ones that were important for the group stages for the year, but that was done last week. I think that the next two games have all been friendlies. I don't understand the system. I think it's done. I don't know what these games are. Um, England played Belgium last night. Yeah, that was Nations League, wasn't it? Which is just the glorified friendlies. Right, okay. So it's a load of shit. I think clubs should be allowed to keep their players. You know, I, I think there needs to be during a pandemic with everything going on because these players as well, I mean, they're, they're because they didn't get much of a break. The amount of injuries and issues they're having, particularly at the top level, never mind going down to our level. We're lucky, you know, we got one player, but if 10 of our players were called away and they're playing like all those games, I'd be horrified. So I, I thankfully, I don't think there's another game till after Christmas now. No, but, this, should be know, the end that, of, this should be the last break, I think, before the new year. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking after the fact, but an absolute waste of time. For me, I just want our best, one of our best players back with us safe and sound and mm-hmm. no COVID issues, do you know what I mean? So you can play. So we also, we were talking a little bit about um, what's going on in the week. And there was a couple of management changes I wanted to bring up, just get your perspective on. So this is, uh, first of all, Nigel Clough. So Nigel Clough left Burton in what seemed like strange circumstances in the summer. I think he was cited that it was to save money and help the club save money. Now back and back with Mansfield, which isn't a surprise that Mansfield are looking for a uh, a new manager. We talked about how awful they looked earlier in the season, at least when they played at Bradford. And he started to turn things around, it seems. But just general thoughts on Nigel Clough coming back in. Good move for him. Um, mm-hmm. Good appointment for Mansfield. He's an experienced manager. He's been at a lot of clubs. He hasn't won a lot. You know, if you look deep into his record, I'm not sure how many promotions he's won. Because he'd left Burton. By the time they ended up promoted. Yeah, he went to them in the championship. Didn't yeah, he? yeah. He, you know, so he came back to them in the championship and he'd been with them earlier on. So he's been a manager around at some big clubs when you go through his, his record. But again, not a lot of success. But I think he's a good guy. I think he'll do really well for Mansfield. The great news there is he's going to a club owned by wealthy people. He's, he's going to David Sharps there, mm-hmm. a pal of mine. Hopefully it works for David because I think he's on the second manager now since he's gone in there and run the place. Caroline and John Radford, who own it, will definitely back Nigel Clough. So if they're in a good position in January and he gets the owners horny, excited, because that's what you've got to do with owners like that to keep them interested, they will back him 100%. They will let him bring in players in January. Mm -hmm. If they're kind of yo-yoing and not anywhere up there, then you lose the owners for a period of time. And that's the key. So I I think it's a good fit for all parties. Hence, they're like uptick and form. Yeah, and then you've got John Sheridan leaving Wigan and going to Swindon. He's got Gary Monk's agent, he has. Mm-hmm. I've always said about Gary Monk, he's, he's had like five or six of the best jobs in football. And he's got, he must have the best agent in football because he's fucking, he's failed everywhere he's been. And Shero, I mean, Shazzy, yeah, he's, he's obviously gone. He was on a short-term deal at Wigan. Swindon's another good club. Fair play. I, I, I like John Sheridan, so fair play to him. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, 
Yeah, good fit. Now, how much does past results impact a manager's employability? You know, when you're looking at people, do you say, well, they struggled and they failed there, so that counts them out? Or is it more about their philosophy? And- yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe the owner of Swindon knows them. That's why it was an easy fit for them. I, I don't know. Sometimes it's about people who know each other. Like, I know um, David Sharp at Mansfield wanted to bring Paul Cook in. Mm-hmm. He knows Paul Cook from Wigan. They won promotion together. So sometimes familiarity is there. Um, if you're going to look at records, Sheridan's record hasn't been great recently. Gary Monk's record was never good, but he always kept getting jobs. So sometimes it's agents and owners and agents and directors of football and who knows who. It's a bit of that going on. It's a very incestuous industry. I certainly wouldn't be recruiting a manager with a win record of less than 30% or someone who had been at three or four clubs and hadn't done anything. I mean, they'd have to knock my socks off in an interview. You'd certainly be looking at, if you could, going out, we spoke about it last week, going after an up-and-coming manager, somebody who's, you know, somebody who's doing well in League 2, somebody who's maybe doing well in League 1, but wants to make the, the change, who, who knows, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, there's a lot of good managers out of work still waiting. I mean, Eddie Howe's still waiting for a job, isn't he? Paul Cook's still waiting for a job. Mm-hmm. They're waiting, obviously, for championship jobs. Um, it'd be interesting, actually, because it's usually what, it used to be November, December, a lot of jobs went. With COVID delaying things now, it's probably more like January. You're going to see the lion's share of jobs come and go. Now, this might be a stupid question, but does managing get harder the further up the pyramid you go? So, you know, are you looking at a manager and saying, well, he's done that in League One versus a manager who's done it in League Two, whatever it is, maybe it's a promotion. Is it harder to manage in League One than League Two? I, I, I think for some managers, yes. Like, for example, Danny Cowley, who went from Lincoln to Huddersfield probably found it more difficult to get the respect of the players in the championship as they've come down from the Premier League. When you're dealing with League One and League Two footballers, you can probably get your philosophy across better. You can probably convince the lads, the squad, to buy into you. When a championship team, say, who's been in the Prem or a big club like a Derby County, suddenly bring in a lower league manager, you probably find a bit of snobbery amongst the players, like like the guy who was at Dave Holiday who went to Leeds years ago. And you probably look the players... Are like everybody like, else. You know, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, correct. And, and a 14, there is snobbery in every level of the game. And players are no different. And I've heard horror stories. Darren Ferguson went to Preston years ago after I sacked him. And he found it really difficult with the dressing room of experienced championship players. They didn't take to his methods. They didn't take to what he wanted to do. It, it's really, really difficult. So I, it, I think it's harder as you go up the pyramid to manage. Now, if you win multiple promotions, League 2, League 1, and then you go to the champ and you do really well in your top 10, and then you go to another club, you probably get a bit more respect from the players at that championship club. As opposed to, let's say, for example, Sheffield Wednesday or Derby went out and got uh, Flynn, you know, at Newport, um, you know, because he's doing so well. You'll probably find some of the players be like, well, what works at Newport is not going to work here. So don't try and bring that stuff in here. Because he's dealing with players on 700 quid a week. Now he's dealing with players yeah, on 720 grand a week. Correct. And, and it's not the managers I have a problem with in all of this. It's the players. I've always said to you, if players don't want to play for a manager, they show you very quickly. <laughs> and we've seen it so many times. And the Derby County manager lost his job, but rightly so. I mean, they had a horrific record. and uh, Yeah, bottom yeah. of the table. Yeah, horrific. And, and there were spats last year that did well. But overall, he's been a bit of a disaster since he went there. Another highly paid foreign European manager with that philosophy. He's come in and, yeah, I, for me, he did shine at Derby. Yeah, expectations were playoffs at least, weren't they? With the squad, the backing, the young players they had, yeah, it should have been, and, and he should have done a lot better. And there's no way, I said it last week, there's no way that team should be bought by the championship. In saying that, 
I don't think Wayne Rooney deserves the job either. But again, like as is in football, when you're a big name, you're going to get those chances. Lampard did, Stephen Gerrard did. You know, I, I probably have a bit more respect for the John Terry's of the world who went in and got an assistant manager's job yeah. and is learning his trade. I like that. I have respect for Saul Campbell, who went to Macclesfield to get a job. Robbie Fowler went to Australia to get a job. We have a former player, Gabby Sequani, who's dropped down to tier seven or eight to manage a you know, local club. Is he like Spalding? Yeah, is it? correct. And, and, you know, because he wants his chance and he's probably working there for fuck all. And it's done by some lovely people. 24-7, doing everything that he has to do. Yeah, but you know what? That's how you get your chance. That's sometimes you... But you know what? Wayne Rooney's not going to drop down to Wrexham or like non-league, is he, and take a job. A lot of people who are on big money, they can go into the studio. And this isn't a dig of Wayne Rooney. This is just life. Jamie Carragher chooses to sit in the stadium. Jamie Redknapp. I tried to recruit Jamie Redknapp years ago. Mm-hmm. And we reached out to his dad. And his dad was like, listen, he's got no interest leaving the studio. You know what I mean? For the millions he gets paid to come and manage in League One. Um, do, do you know what I mean? So sometimes they choose that way. Now, if Rooney takes over and he does really well, fair play. It's a gift. It's a great club. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what route happens now, you know, for Derby. I think they have a takeover about to go through, so it'll be interesting times. I'm sure that'll change things again. Yeah, of course it will. Of course it will. But more people are going to lose their jobs in the next, like, seven, eight weeks. Well, uh, last time we talked, last week, it was middle of the FA Cup draw. And, you know, you got um, Charlie and we were kind of debating whether or not it was going to be on TV or not. So you got your TV date. We got, we got, is, is it 32 grand or 35? I'm not, oh, sure. I'm not sure. That's what I was going to ask you. What, what's the kind? I know it was 30 for the first round because that's what we got. So I want to say it's 37, but someone told me that it was 34. They've confused me. So I, I'll, I'll stick my money on 37. But look, we'll take it. You know, We'll take anything we can get. I know some of our fans were pissed off because they got to like, you know, they don't have BT. They could watch it on iFollow, but unfortunately needs must at the moment. Do you know what I mean? So someone's, we're not going to make 30 grand out of iFollow. So if someone's throwing us 30, 40 grand to be on TV, we're like prostitutes. We'll, we'll do what we need to do. We've got to take it. We've got to take it. So uh, I'm happy for Chorley as well because that, that's massive for them. Um, and, and listen, that's going to be a juicy tie because they're going to come and play up a level and they're probably going to be as good as like they were in the last round. Um, I think they came from behind 2-0 down to beat Wigan. Yeah, last minute I think it was, wasn't it? Listen, if our players play like they did on Saturday, Chorley will win. Hard truth. They need the motivation. They they need to make sure that they're not complacent. That's always the hardest, isn't it? One million percent. You, you know, all those non-league teams, they, they will play to their best ability on the day. We Years ago, we went to Woking. Tough game away. We ended up drawing. We beat them at our place in a replay. We we lost to Kidderminster after a replay mm-hmm. away. So if you drop your standards, these non-league players are waiting for the spotlight and they're all going to be on TV. You're not going to get one bad performance. I guarantee you, Chorley will be 7, 8 out of 10 every player. Yeah. So for Peterborough side, we, we want to win that game. We have to play to the best of our ability. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a great tie, juicy. I'll watch it from Dubai. <laughs> so from a uh, logistics perspective, is there additional demands that are placed on a club when the TV cameras come? Or do the, uh, the TV companies really just take care of it and you just got to keep out of the way? No, no, no. They send over a wish list and things they need, an area for the studio to be built, um, access for the camera, the technical people. There is a lot of liaison for our ground support staff you know, to, to make sure that they can get everything they want. Uh, and making sure the tech is in place. Basically, you are handing your ground over, you know what I mean? But you are working with them and making sure everything's working fine because it's a live TV production. So, look, it's nice to be on TV. We should be on TV more. You know, known as the entertainers, they don't pick us enough, you know, to put us on TV. We're not quite the big boys. (laughs) 
Well, you're in the shop window. Always, always in the shop window. Show them what you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, apparently, I think at the crew game there were some serious scouts at that game for both teams. So you know, players have to realise you can't drop your standards. There's always Steve Bruce there was to watch a player. I know who was there to watch. So you know that player, you know, like the rest of our players, didn't play well. And you've always got to remember, top top scouts, managers are there. You know, to watch you, you can't drop your standards. If you want to play above League One, you have to be as good as you can be. Also in the last week, it seems like there was so much going on, but we had um, probably a week or so from from actually today, we were recording this on Monday, we had the um, FA and the MP kind of debate in Parliament. And Greg Clark said some things. And, you know, a day later, here we are talking about Greg Clark. And a week later, here we are still talking about Greg Clark. And we're not talking about football. Yeah, I mean, he, he said some really stupid things. Um, tone deaf. Would that be the best way to describe it? And I'm not his biggest fan. Yeah. When he was in charge of the EFL, my, at the playoff final and at the uh, checker trade final, he did a speech and mispronounced my name twice. And that really pissed me off. You know, then he obviously, him and his delegates sat next to me at one of the games where he could have sat on the other side and I just felt he irritated me. He then came to our club once and he was like, oh, I heard you smoke in your office and he was sniffing around, you know what I mean? Like seeing if I was breaking rules. So he kind of irritated me a lot. But I don't want to see anyone lose their job. What he said was tone deaf. And I guess people of a certain age, sometimes they can trip themselves up. It's a different generation. It's no excuse, by the way. But should he lose his job for being tone deaf? No. Um, was it overblown in the current environment? Yes, because of what's going on in the world. And he stepped down and he's lost all his job and he's lost his reputation. And, and I, that's 2020 for you. And unfortunately it happened. It was, he's on a Zoom call. And he's, like I said, I'm not his biggest fan, so I should be enjoying this, but I'm not because I don't want to see anyone lose their jobs for saying something stupid. I don't think Greg Clark's a racist. You know, I, I, I don't think he's a, um, a chauvinist because he said things about lady footballers as well. I just think, again, he's just, he got caught on camera saying something his brain didn't think, you know, the way he got it across, it wasn't computed properly. And we spoke about this before about things that are said in America are allowed. Some things that are said in the UK are not allowed. You know, you hear terms on the news here and you think, oh, can you say that in the UK? And you probably can. It's easy to get yourself into trouble when you, I feel it, you know, when you're in what's acceptable where. It's not that you're, um, it's not that you, there's malice or anything like that behind any of the no, words. It's just no, no. And then obviously you've got then football players like Tyrone Mings are out, and we need a black person in charge. We need a woman in charge. We need you know it's the usual, basically out there. We need change. We need these people. That person in charge. These people in charge. I've always said best person for the job. And um, you know I know Bobby Barnes who's been involved with the PFA and behind the scenes in football. It doesn't matter that Bobby's black. He can be white or black for all I care, or a woman. Bobby's a great guy. He's been in football a long time. He would be my pick to go in there and do a job. But again, I'm not shouting from the rooftops that it needs to be a woman or a black person. My lawyer and a friend of mine's on the FA board. She was the first Asian person ever to get on the board. And I helped as best I could in that process. Do you know what I mean? With who I knew and whatever else. And she is unbelievable, this lady. She's a female lawyer. And she could probably do that job, but she wouldn't want it. But she's got a successful business outside of football. Um, but it, it isn't because she's an Asian. It's because I've known her for 15 years. She's the best fucking goddamn lawyer I know. She's just great at her job. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and great crack to boot as well with that. So it doesn't matter um, about her, and, and, you know, her ethnicity. Did I say that right? Ethnicity. 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 There you go. Sorry, I'm having one of those tongue-tied days. So, <laughs> you know, again, best person for the job. 
that's never going to change for me. And then you've obviously got people coming out, well, well, education, the critical race theory, and we need to be teaching people. And you've seen it over here in America again. I think Biden's rolling it back in again where he wants the critical race theory implemented. And Dick's sports goods got in trouble recently of one of those because there was a manual leaked about, you know, the employees being told you need to check your white privilege at the door. And this is you need to apologize and all of this kind of and we're just taking it too far. Just taking it too far. We all agree racism shouldn't exist in 2020. Shouldn't exist in 2021. We all agree in football, it still exists and it needs to be stamped out. But sometimes, can you call it virtual signaling? It goes too far. It goes too far. Mm -hmm. And what happens in that is when it goes too far is the screaming, yeah, it loses its effect, right? And, and it not puts people off, but it pisses people off to the level where they stop listening. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to lose the message because that's what happens. When you start losing people, the message gets drowned out. And that's really important for me that we don't do that. And that was, that was one of the other things as well, not the stupid things he said. The fact that what was the meaning of the call about fans back in, about football clubs needing help. You know, we had a local MP who rang me. I had an hour on the phone with them because he was going to the House of Commons to do a 20-minute speech on letting fans in. And it was great. It was a great conversation. I guess he's the, in America, you call him like a senator your local MP for Peterborough. So, you know, we chatted for an hour and he was a great guy. And it was fascinating hearing his politics, his ideals and everything. But I used that opportunity to ask him about, you know, how are you guys implementing the vaccine? You know, you're doing this, you're doing that. Fuck me, there's no, I, I couldn't hear any plan from what I could hear. In fact, some of the stuff I was telling him, I think was news to him. And that really surprises me. You know, like I said, um, you know, you guys using the Eli Lilly uh, therapy. And he was like, what's the Eli Lilly therapy? I said, well, surely the UK government is, has bought some of that from America who are now giving it out in emergency use for like COVID sick patients. Surely that's been used in the UK because it's been shown in, in trial tests that it reduces hospitalizations by 82%. So for every 10 people who should go to hospital, this therapy and cocktail IVF treatment reduces your chances by 82% to go to the hospital, which is what we're all about with COVID. You don't want people going to the hospital, right? And like he, he hadn't heard of Eli Lilly and it wasn't his fault. It was just the UK government. I don't know. Yeah, we're not communicating it because I, I, I'd said to him on the phone, were you one of the MPs who voted for the lockdown, the new lockdown? And I think he was. And, and I was just like, and he, he, he started speaking about it and obviously he didn't know who he was dealing with. Obviously I've done my own stuff and research, data, science, and I was, I'm totally anti-lockdown. So I kind of gave him my thought process on that lockdown and what we went through here in Florida. And then speaking about it. so it was a it was a fascinating conversation to hear somebody who's in government because my biggest worry is and I said this to you earlier about now we've got three vaccines out is like all governments around the world need to stop talking about lockdowns and the only focus right now is getting a vaccine to the people who need it over a certain age and and that's the only thing that should be in newspaper headlines that's the only thing that should be reported on and the only thing the prime minister or the president of America should be talking about. Not locking people up for Thanksgiving and Christmas. How we're going to get the vaccine now to everyone who needs it? Now, did anything come out of that debate? Was there any any were you any signals that you were looking for that suggest that when things start to get better, fans are going to be allowed back in? I, I, I don't think so. I, I fair play to him. He spent twenty five minutes at the end of the day where he was allowed. He had a segment to talk, and he made some brilliant points. And he spoke about the safety. He spoke about what we've done as a club to make it safe for fans to come back. I think what he's done, and, and the other guy, what's the politician's name, who's quite relevant to this cause, who's also spoke about it, you know, he works for the government, he spoke about, yes, we want to get fans back in, but did it make me feel confident? No. 
Um, but you know, you know, it makes me feel confident. Seeing people now aren't just lying down and accepting all of this. You see now in the UK, people are like, "No, fuck your lockdowns," and you, you see people opening businesses and going, "No, nah, I'm not listening to you." And and you know now, now the people get the voice and get the show because really we live in democracies, right? And it shouldn't be one person locking people up. And hopefully now, common sense, the government will be feeling that pressure of shit. We messed up with this second lockdown. How long are we going to be able to keep fans away from football? And now with vaccines around, can they really tell us that we can't have fans back in January? Like, do your job, give the 15 million people in England who are over the age of 65 the vaccine and let them come back to football. <laughs> Simple as that. It's kind of accountability. I mean, there's less place to hide. There is. Um, there is. There is. So they need to be accountable that the decisions are made are based on a fact based. 100%. And, and I think it's becoming really, really difficult for more and more of them to follow through with these draconian like measures. I've seen your favorite governor in Michigan where your family are. She's locking everyone up again, isn't she? And locking all her businesses and having a two-week pause or a three-week pause. I think that's because she doesn't want the militia to come and storm the capital. I think it's because she loves she loves the power of like locking her state up. So it's like people can't go to school for the next three weeks. It's the usual over. Listen, whether she, was, whether she was red or blue, at the end of the day, she's overstepping her fucking boundaries again. And I'm fed up with that. Certainly some of the cities, Detroit being one of them, they're um, going backwards on school openings and people are having to uh, go back into... Home homeschooling, basically. It's terrible. It's terrible. This is terrible. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, let's hope 2021 sees an end of that because it's like, I don't think any of us ever want to hear the word lockdown ever again next year, right? Um, but yeah, it's terrible. Like, seeing how some people have like overstepped their boundaries with power is horrible this year. So, that's what I'm looking forward to now. We've got like six weeks left of the year. All this vaccine is great news. And for those of you sitting at home, and I had a few emails this week from people, you know, who've had a tough time. There was one guy in particular who his wife's a hairdresser. Uh, he's working away from home. Uh, her business has been shut down again. And he was having a really, really tough time. And he was listening to the podcast on his drive. You know, and he hasn't seen his family for like a week at a time. And he's working his arse off because now he's got to cover for both of them because his wife obviously can't open her business. And you forget that people who own businesses don't really get the same payments as people who get furlough payments. So it's great that you get 80% of your salary or your furlough or whatever. But if you own a business, unless you can get that loan, which a lot of people can't, and people who own businesses have got bills to pay as well. So I feel sorry for the thousands of those people out there who aren't getting looked after by the government. So this guy was brilliant. He just emailed me and said, oh, I just felt really down. My wife felt really down. I said, you know what? You and your wife sound like brilliant people. You both work your bollocks off. And when you come out of this horrible fucking COVID-ridden year, you two are going to kill it next year, you know, as regards business-wise, because you've got the right mindset, the right mentality for your family. And there's so many people like that there who listen to the podcast. And I just want to say to them, with everything going on, it is getting better. I know I've been saying that for weeks and months, but like, trust me, these three vaccines so far, there's another five like that. So, you know, 2021, it, it won't be like this. Yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg for all the therapists that are going to be coming out the next few weeks. Yeah, COVID's going to get its ass whipped and it's going to be a thing of the past. So, you know, let's get on with it. I'm, I'm taking the family this weekend to Dubai. We're going for two weeks and then going to the UK for mm-hmm. five weeks. I'm working. I'm working in the UAE and I'm working in the UK. So I'm just going to have them. They're going to miss like a week and a half of school. I'm going to do homeschool on the virtual thing. They're having a holiday this year. And I said to my missus, why don't you guys come away with me? Because I don't want to miss Thanksgiving and Christmas with the family. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm fortunate I can do that. Yeah. So I'm obviously we're doing the PCR testing on Wednesday and then all goes to plan. We fly out on Saturday. So I'm really looking forward to getting away from America. I'm looking forward to just escaping from all the shit going on. 
and and, and just have a bit of a break and lie by the pool for a couple of weeks. <laughs> you know, it's good timing to get out of here with everything that's going on and, and with the cases going up and, you know, are you going to have more noise related to that? Correct. You're going to have Fauci who wants Christmas cancelled and Thanksgiving cancelled and his usual shit. And now he's even saying, oh, once you get the vaccine, you should still wear a mask and social distance. Oh, fuck off. The great news was I was out on um, Friday night. I went for sushi, place down in, um, near the old girls' gym, and it was packed. I mean, it was, it was, it was full. And that, that actually gave me a smile. I was wearing my mask, of course, but I was like smiling because it was like, good for you. Your business is thriving. You know, like you must have had a tough year. So every time I see a business that's busy, I'm always kind of like secretly applauding them because I, I want people to be okay. You know what I mean? As opposed to going by all the empty businesses and empty shops I see with for rent signs outside. I, I hate seeing that, you know, because of what this has done. So that was really interesting. I don't know how you felt when you were in St. Petersburg. Was it busy? Yeah, we just went to St. Petersburg to the beach for a couple of days over the weekend. And um, we still did takeout. But, you know, when I went in to get the takeout, it's pretty busy in there. And it, it was almost like it was... Um, I don't want to say back to normal, but there was a lot more normal than what it's been for the last few months. Um, you know, same in the hotels. And so we did see a lot of people out and about. Yeah. And even in the UK with lockdown too, I'm still hearing a lot of people are kind of like maybe ignoring it and just getting on with things. And I love that um, because I'm just like, yeah, power to you because I think just people have had enough. So listen, all we need now in sports, if we can get our fans back and we get the bailout that happens, I think, you know, it's going to be a really, really rosy future for all of us. So let's just talk about that bailout before we go into some questions. Um, so as I understand, the offer was £50 million amongst the 48 clubs in League One and League Two, uh, with £200 million in addition of interest-free loans for the championship. Um, of the £50 million, 60% was loans, 40% was grants. Um, the EFL clubs want 100% grants. Is that pretty much where we are right now? Yeah, I think basically originally it was like you were offered 30 and 20, 30 million and straight away loans, 20 million mm-hmm. in grants, yeah, or, or one way or the other. And then you had to you had to run through some hoops to get the loan. And we didn't want that. I think what the clubs wanted was, look, give us an amount. If they're going to get it as a grant, brilliant. At the end of the day, something needs to happen. The next question is when? This yeah. has gone on so long. And we were told this last week. So a lot of the clubs now need to know when. Because obviously clubs, if they're not going to get the money soon, they're going to have to have conversations with their staff mm-hmm. and their players about pay deferrals and pay cuts. Because that's what has to happen next. Um, you know, we're about to refund, you know, our fans portions of their season ticket money over the next few months. You know, that's not easy for us with yeah. cash flow when you've got no income. And our fans deserve that. We're going to give them options on that. Um, but we've got to do it. And it's the right thing to do. And it's really, really tough. <laughs> it's, it's tough and it's before Christmas. And, you know, we... Again, we've been saying it for months. When's it going to happen? So it looks like it's happening. It looks like there's finally an agreement on the horizon. I don't know the details, but I'm not privy to the details. Mm-hmm. What I'd love to know now is a timeline of it. Is this something yeah. that can happen in the next seven days that we talked about? Excuse me, in the next month? And even after this, I'm still saying the government should still be writing us a check. Yeah. Because they have stopped and killed our ability to earn. And they need to take accountability also. Now, a million pound a club... You know, it's it's a it's a big check, but also, yeah, how much difference does it make? Is it it's it's going to keep things open for a couple more months versus, you know, everyone's happy. Yeah, we need a million from that, and we need a million from the government. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean, most clubs, all of us included, have lost over three million because of all of this. So, if not more, I'd hate to see what Sunderland have lost. 
you, you start adding up 30,000 season ticket holders yeah. and 35,000 gates and the money and the revenue from food and drink on match day. Um, I would hate to see what a club that size has lost. <laughs> a million quid ain't going to scratch their arse. Do you know what I mean? On what they've lost. So it's not enough. Um, and I don't want to sound greedy there. But again, like I said to you, we'll take some, but yeah. we need more from the government. Yeah. And I've been listening to all the government ministers pass the book around. And even in that talk I spoke to you about, about well, it's the Premier League and they spent a billion pounds this uh, summer. I hate the way they keep throwing us into the same category. EFL League 1 and League 2 is not with the Premier League. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't spend a billion pounds in the summer, so you keep trying to put us in there, but we're not, and it suits your narrative where you're talking to the people. But the reality is, you've said we cannot trade. So if you're going to continue to disallow us to trade, well, then you're going to have to write us for the privilege of keeping us earning money. The, the perception of every footballer at our level being someone who earns two hundred thousand pounds a week and is. Just- I, I, I saw that one of the politicians said that like, oh, there's people in the championship earning twenty and thirty and forty grand a week. Yeah, sure, there is, absolutely, clubs that were in the Prem, but the mass majority of them would be on 10s, 12s, 15s. A lot of them would have paid, taken pay deferrals. A lot of them are football clubs that they're not all owned by billionaires. It's not one size fits all. And um, Go down to the League 1 and League 2, you've got clubs with average wage bills of a grand a week, Bradford probably included in there, and they're not different. They need help. Bradford are used to having 15,000 people at a home game who are buying food and buying drink. So, you know, again, you're stopping Bradford having those sales. Um, you know, you, you've done this. You've put us in this position. You've made these decisions to stop fans coming into outdoor stadiums, which are safe. So if you want to continue doing that, great. Pay. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take a little break. We're going to answer some uh, list of questions as soon as we get back. Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining us again. We're going to go to some listener questions now. Uh, Before we do start, I do want to thank everyone for your emails that we've been receiving expressing interest in the business podcast and the community that we're exploring. We continue to get emails in, which is fantastic. You know, I want to apologize that I'm not responding to everyone one-on-one, but I am saving them. Uh, I know who you are. Uh, I say that not as a threat, (laughs) Um, but uh, so we can communicate with you. Um, as we start to put this into practice over the next couple of months or so. So so thank you for that. Yeah, to give people an idea, if you, if you don't understand what Phil's talking about there, we have an idea for a bit of a business pod. Uh, it's going to be a subscription-based one because it's obviously going to be personal time. So the idea would be you would get four episodes a month. You would get one Zoom-in call a month uh, with me, with Phil, um, with all the members of the, of the subscription-based podcast or call it whatever you want, an app. And what we can also do in each... Uh, business episodes discuss things like life changing your life turning your life around building a business how do you go further at work how do you get promoted all the little things that matter to you outside of your house you know when it comes to the work life and we discuss it obviously i've got a lot of experience phil's got his own experience in the industry he's in so if you're interested in that and signing up for that and that's something that and i do help a lot of people away from the podcast with advice all the time and this gives you direct access to us for that uh, you email the following to let us know and we're going to put you on a list and hopefully we'll have a bit more of a product for you by January the 1st. Phil, what's the email? It's contact at hardtruthfootball.com. Brilliant. And just put in the title of that there, interested in the business podcast. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. So let's go into some questions. Um, question from Sean. In fact, Sean asks two questions, so I'll start with uh, Greedy the one for you, first of all. Um, <laughs> Sean is a Portsmouth fan. Um and says, my question for Dara is, as a um, Portsmouth fan, can you explain how the signing of Nathan Thompson came about? 
Yeah, um, it, I want to say it was a couple of summers ago. It was late in the window. We tried to sign Nathan before he actually went to Portsmouth. Uh, I want to say he was at Swindon before that, but we couldn't get to his wages, and obviously he chose Portsmouth over Peterborough at the time. So it was, look, Portsmouth's a bigger football club than our football club, so it was always very difficult to compete uh, with clubs like that when you're trying to sign players. And then it was late in the window. Nathan had been released, or he was still... I want to say he'd been promised a championship move, and he was training with the championship club. And don't misquote me if I say it was a Bristol club, maybe. And what happened was he never ended up getting a contract. And then he thought he was going back to Portsmouth, and that didn't happen. I know his agent really well. So his agent rang up and said, look, Nathan Thompson. And I said, fucking yeah, we'll do a two-year deal. But we haven't got the money we had before. So we got him on a probably a good home discount. And to be fair to Tomo, when he's fit, there's no better player in his position in the league. He's brilliant in the dressing room. He's our vice captain. And one of the great things this season is, you know, when he's been fit and he's played nine or ten games in a row, we've been as good as anybody. And he was missing on Saturday. I think he's missing for three games because, unfortunately, he's, he's only 29, just turned 30. He's got a body or whatever that, you know, he is a little bit prone to issues and injuries, uh, hence his record. You know, last year with us, I think he only played 15, 20 games. So, if we can keep Nathan fit, he is such an asset to the football club. And he's out of contract at the end of this year, but we would look to extend his contract because he's such a good addition. And the other thing about Nathan is he is brilliant. You know, I, I spent time with him at St. George's. He wants to, he's studying a special degree in sports management. He wants to go in to be a director of football or work high up in a football club when he's finished. And I was fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. And I've speak to him recently on Instagram because he wants to interview me about that and about the club and everything else. So when I get to the UK, I will spend time with him going over that. And I, I love people further trying to invest and improve in themselves. And he spent a lot of money on courses doing that. So fair play to him. Great guy. All right. And the other question was actually a question for me on Gareth Evans. So Bradford signed Gareth Evans from Portsmouth. And he said, you know, we were, as Portsmouth fans, were gutted to see um, both him and actually Nathan Thompson go and wanted some perspective as a Bradford fan on Gareth. You know, for us, Gareth Evans played for us 12 years ago, 13 years ago, when we were in some pretty bad times. And I don't think we had fond memories. Um, and it wasn't because of Gareth. It was just he was in a, a team that was going down. And we, I don't think we had many fond memories about any of the, the players around that time. And, you know, but we watched his career with interest and he did really, really well. I think he was at Rotherham and he always, he always scored against us. One of those players you let go and scores against you. Um, which just drives you crazy. Not the worst. Um, and obviously so, uh, seeing him do very well at Portsmouth. I think for him coming back, unfortunately, he's only played a couple of games for us and he's been injured since. Um, the couple of games that we've seen, uh, he's looked a cut above everybody else on the pitch. I think he's he's better than a League Two player. Um, I think the struggle for us is where to put him in. He's one of those utility players who can play in a bunch of different areas and that is probably a hindrance to him. Because, you know, it makes him more flexible and we'll put him in when somebody else is out rather than, uh, you know, a position being his own. So we'll see. But we're really happy to get him back. Um, where do you actually stand on utility players? Like, are you, do you like to get some players in that will fit a number of roles? The way we play now, lots of our players can play in different roles. Like Nathan Thompson plays right uh, centre back in a three, but he can play right back and he could probably play right wing back as well. Joe Ward plays right wing back. He could play right back. He could play left wing. He could play behind a striker. So it's nice to have players with flexibility and the intelligence and the brain to play in different roles. I think Dembele's done really well because the penny finally dropped with him that, you know, being a winger kind of pigeonholes him, particularly if he wants to play higher. They don't play with wingers really in the champ for the Premier League. So when he's realised he can be a second striker or play a little bit deeper with a free role, 
he's taken that to a duck to water like a duck to water. So I'm okay. We had Charlie Lee years ago, and he was a left back. He was right back. He was central midfield. He was a centre back. He was our probably the best utility player we've had in the last 30 years. Won promotions with us. I feel sorry for footballers sometimes when they are utility players and they don't quite sure what is their main position. If I were a player, I'd want it nailed down that I'm a striker, I'm a central midfielder, but every team has them and every team needs them. All right, I got a question from, I think it's Jeevan or Jevan, uh, who says in the National League South, some of the clubs have decided to stream their matches free of charge. Why do you think they uh, are deciding to do that and to stream them free and aren't using it as an opportunity to raise some funds? I've got no idea. They're bonkers. Um, at a time when you've got no fans and no income and there's not a lot of money down there, I don't know why they're doing that. Maybe they're doing it as a trial thing with some new technology. Maybe they're trying to build a database up and then maybe get to a point near Christmas when they're back playing or whenever they get back playing. Hey, guys, now you're going to have to start paying. So everyone wants their own streaming service. We're all having a fucking nightmare with iFollow. If we could, we'd dump the fucker in a bin tomorrow. Um, you know, it goes down not just for the fans, it goes down for me. You know, Saturday I switched from Chrome Google Chrome to Safari, Safari, Google Chrome from my desktop to my laptop. Yeah, I had three different things turning on and off, you know, refreshing. Like everyone else who's screaming on Twitter, I don't want to do it as well. So I, I feel just as bad, um, you know, because there's nothing worse. Get the fucking streaming on. Yeah, you're going to be backing up the satellite truck onto your driveway again sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but I get to see plenty of live football when I'm in England in December. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I got a question from uh, Alex. Can Dara give his perspective on what he feels Sami Smodek's ceiling might be in terms of where he might play? He's obviously a great footballer, but his size could hold him back in the Championship or Premier League. I don't buy into the size holding him back. I think, you know, if you look at Ryan Fraser, if you look at players who are a smaller stature in the Premier League, Jesus, uh, Aguero's fucking tiny, isn't he? But he's like built like a bull. Um, you know, that height thing for me. No, Sammy can go as look, Sammy can go as high as he wants, as far as he wants. He's got the ability. He's 25. He's got time. Um, he should be the best player in League One. He knows he's nowhere near the standard he sets himself. And I, I, and I borrowed the game on Saturday. I found the previous games he was getting there because he was, he was getting four chances a game and missing four chances a game. But you don't mind the misses because you know it's coming. Sammy's the type of player, if he gets one or two, he'll get 10 or 11 in 15 games. So he's got the ability to be as good as he wants because the one thing he's got more than a lot of other players is his work ethic's unbelievable. If Sammy Schmodix is having a shit game and nothing's coming off him, he still runs 12 miles. You know, when you get that from a player who presses from the front, who won't give up, people in the championship, when they get over the hole, he's smaller or whatever, um, they know his work ethic, what he brings to the team. We get promoted, Sammy will be unbelievable for us in the championship, and then bigger clubs will take notice of what he can do. So I've got no problem with Sammy. Our front three haven't clicked yet. Um, God help everyone when they do. And if they can all get on the same page, and I would suggest the three of them need to maybe spend a bit more time together, but once they get on the same page, the three of them will be unplayable because there's no better three players in the division than Jono, Sammy, and Dembele. Now, when you are scouting um, without giving away any of the uh, secret sauce, you know, do you look for what a player's ceiling is as part of the, the conversation? Oh, massively, yeah, definitely. Because there will be times where, like there are players in the current squad we recruited knowing they get us out of League One, but they potentially couldn't step up and play in the champ. That's just been brutally honest. You always know that. You have it, uh, you know, without going into the dynamics of what I do, but on the list you've got at the bottom of the box, you know what I mean, levels they can play at. So they can, you know, be a good League One player or a top League One player, a semi-decent champ player, ability to go higher, you know, there's always those ticks in there. And there was actually a player on Saturday 
I was talking about with the manager that my scouts have been all over the last few weeks. He's probably would replace Dembele if Dembele got sold for 15 million quid um, in the future. Who would slot in, but he doesn't score as many goals as Dembele. And his probably his biggest negative would be he doesn't work as hard, which is something you could throw at Siriki Dembele at times, but he's he's 20. So what you would say is me and the gaff spoke today about it and said, well, actually, that's our type of player because you're not getting the finished product. You're getting a player that you have to teach out the track back. You have to teach out to take the chances better. But from an ability and a dribbling point of view and a wow factor, he is a Dembele, but he's four years younger. So once Dembele goes, he would be the next one if he's still available. Just like we also spoke about the centre half, me and you spoke about last week. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get too upset now. But we spoke about him again today and, and the gaffers now had one of his people after I sent over the, the OK and the approval after I've had him watch four or five times. He hadn't watched, do you know what I mean? And, and whatever, and a bit of a mixed report from Saturday's game or whatever else without going into detail, but liked him a lot. You know, and could see the characteristics I said about, you know, Frankie Kent type player. And you, as a Peter, but you're always, I said it before, you're always looking at plan B, plan C, plan D, because you never know when you're going to lose a player. We are, and particularly with a pandemic going on, you know, somebody comes in and offers you that kind of money, where you are as a club with no fans, you're going to have to sell your players, mm-hmm. right? And that's just the way it is. And cash is king. Cash is king, hopefully not till the summer, but who knows? And, and the one thing, the great news is for our business is, if you can trade in the summer in January, you can get yourself out of a lot of shit if you need to. That's just the way football works. But yeah, the scouting side of it, you always look for that glass ceiling. How far? Can, and by the way, we've got that wrong before. You know, I've signed players and we've gone to the champ and they look just, they just never could get hold of. They just, they couldn't swim in those seas. It was too much for them. They were drowning. Do you know what I mean? So that just happens as well in football. How much chance, so let's say you've identified a player, he's in your squad, you think that he's. Uh, he's good enough to get you out of League One, but he's not really good enough for the championship. You know, as you're heading into the championships, uh, the, the, your first season in the championship, how much leeway do you give him to prove you wrong? Or are you already recruiting to replace him? No, you, you, you got to be ruthless sometimes. So you would you would basically like, you know, you get promoted. We did this before. We got promoted years ago and we put like four or five of our best players in that promotion winning season on the transfer list. We, we were, because having been in that champ before, it's ruthless. You don't get six months. You don't get six months to try with players you have big doubts on. Because before you know it, you find yourself relegated. So sometimes you have to be ruthless with that and go, look, that's the ceiling for that player. They're not going to play for us in the champ. Now, we might be wrong, but we have to go with our good instinct. We have to go with the analysis. We have to go with all the information, data that we've got. It's up to players as well to prove us wrong. I would say the mass majority of our team, our squad, could do really well in the champ. But there's always going to be a few who can't. You know what I mean? So that's just the way it goes. And you always have to plan for the eventualities. All right, let's see. I got a question from Kev. And Kev uh, is actually, uh, he, he says a few weeks ago, there was a tragic story of a 17-year-old from Man City who was released by Man City, yeah. take his own life, um, Jeremy yeah. Wisdom, uh, after he was yeah. devastated to be let go. So the question is really, you know, w- what does what can, uh, even what do Peterborough do to help support these youngsters who don't make it? You know, what's the, what's the support system look like? My son's 15 in two weeks. So he's like two years away from that. And the problem nowadays is pressure on children and social media. And in our day, when we were younger, you know, you had disappointments and setbacks. But you dealt with it. You know, we, maybe we were built differently. And kids nowadays can't deal with it. They're not prepped to deal with disappointment and setbacks and rejection. And unfortunately in life, and this is a message for everyone, and this is the hard truth, 
you are going to get rejected 99 times out of 100 at most things you do. Whether you're selling a house, you're going to hear 99 no's and one yes. Whether you're going for 10 jobs, you're not going to get a yes on all the jobs. Same in football and sports. For every winner, I'll show you 20 losers um, because that's the way sports works. And it's it's cutthroat industry, any sport that you go into. And these young players coming out of massive clubs like Man City, it's the same at Posh. We will have youth players who won't make it. We will have youth players who don't qualify for a pro contract and have to be released after being with us for seven, eight years. And what we always say, and I'll give you an example. When I met Ronnie Edwards, young Franz Beckenbauer, and I met his dad in the summer and we signed him, he was amazed when we spoke about well, now he's going to move down here with some of our lads next week because he thought he would travel from London and Barnet every couple of days. And we we're like, no, 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 he moves down here. And by the way, he's got to finish school. He was out of school. We're like, yeah, yeah, he's got to finish school because we make sure they get the diploma, they finish school, uh, they have a plan B. So if it doesn't work out, they can go to college, they can have a life after football. And um, because, like I said, the percentage chance of play, I, I once read, I think, in the NFL, people who make it to the NFL, the National Football League, only 8% of them end up playing longer than three years. You know, the statistics are horrifying out there. It'd be the same, I guess, in golf. It would be the same in tennis. So you spend your whole pre-adult life training to be a sports star, to be a professional footballer, and then you're met with a serious no. You're released from a club, and you feel, I'm probably during COVID as well, the lockdown, everything going on, you know, the depression can set in. Young people are so susceptible to that. And it's really important that you're like all over your kids. You know, my kids spent too much time in the bedrooms on computer games and social media. And my daughter was talking about like keeping her snap going the other day. I don't know what the fuck that means, keeping her snap going. It's the world we don't really know about. And you're going to find this as your kids get older. Try to understand who they're developing into as young adults, you know, and those things and how things affect them differently. Because everyone gets disappointed, but it's how they react to the disappointment is what, is what tells you who they are. You know what I mean? And, and I've had loads of disappointments. But I have the inner strength. Maybe that's from my dad, my parents. I've never let it beat me. You know, I've, I've used it as fuel. You know, I got fired from my first real estate company. Not for being crap at my job, for other stuff. But it didn't stop me becoming the goat in real estate sales. And that's who I became, even though I was discarded early on. Do you know what I mean? When I was like 20, 21. And a young player like that, for that to happen, I don't know what else was going on in his life or in his mind or whatever else, but it's tragically sad. And we can't have that happen. And this is where the PFA also have to be more available. I'm not digging out the PFA, but I've had players who've gone through depression and had issues. And the PFA have to stop worrying about what happens with training and football clubs and if the players are in the team. And that is where as an association or federation, they have to be on top, particularly young players. They've got to be on it. They've got to be on those young players, making sure they're okay. Yeah, because like you say, they... they you put everything into it. And even if you're successful and become a professional footballer, you still only maybe a professional footballer for a couple of years. Are you one injury away from being the end of your career? Correct. I've seen that too. And it's terribly sad. You know, we, we go on about all the successes, but there's so much loss, there's so much devastation that goes on inside our industry that we don't know about. And that young 17 year old taking his own life, you know, again, highlighted one of the issues in our industry, you know, you know, for youngsters. So we have to do better. We talk about this year about racism and stamping that out, but mental illness, depression, things like that. We have to do better at everything. Mm-hmm. Well, we have um, we've got a couple of business questions, but I'm going to hold off because we've um, I think we've already been going an hour plus here today. Uh, we'll hold them over for the next uh, episode that we record, and we're actually going to record. We're going to miss a week next week. Uh, as you're getting yourself situated and, and getting yourself off the plane, as it were, at our usual recording time in Dubai. And we're going to be back in two weeks' time. Um, so 
for everybody, please still keep those questions coming in. I'm going to add them to the questions that we already have set. Uh, we got a lot this week, which was fantastic. Uh, the more questions, the better. Um, you can always just send those questions in to the email address we gave it earlier. It's contact at hardtruthfootball.com or going to the website, which is hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. And we have a form on there. So um, safe travels, Darren. Thank you very much to everyone listening. Thanks for your support. Don't forget to retweet. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to make comments. Give us ratings. Um, we appreciate and value your support. All of you have a great couple of weeks and moving back soon. Yeah, back two weeks from today. Um, and we'll see you then. Take care. All right. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.